free of hate. After many weeks, I forced myself to go out and walk around the gardens. I found a gymnastics bar mounted between two metal posts, and I started to exercise. At first, I couldn't even hold on to the bar. Twice a day, I would go down to the garden area and try to hang on the bar and lift my legs. Gradually, my muscles responded, and eventually, I could swing myself over the bar. As I explored the wider area around the monastery, I came across a large, fully equipped workshop with lathes and machines where the monks did the repairs of all the farm machinery and everything else required for the monastery. There was no chit-chat. They worked in silence. I approached the monk and told him I wanted to work. He said, we don't pay. We ourselves don't get paid. I explained that I did not expect to be paid. I just wanted to work again. Reluctantly, he accepted me. I would go in after breakfast and ask if there was something to do. At first, he gave me very simple tasks, mostly on crude farm machinery. But he later gave me more complicated jobs. I told him I knew about locks and he gave me work to do with locks. Once I did a difficult repair on a large ancient lock, and he was pleased with me. I enjoyed the work, which gave my life some focus. I soon became aware that my head was full of thoughts about exacting revenge on the Germans. Every German man of a certain age was a suspect in my mind and I daydreamed about what I would do, poison them in large numbers, lay some explosive somewhere. When I visited Munich, I saw the immense destruction caused by Allied bombing, and I realized that the Germans had also suffered in the war, but I did not think that was enough. I was full of hate, of anger, so many scenes of the Germans' brutality during the war years were spinning around in my memory. One day it occurred to me that my thoughts were busy with the wrong issues. Instead of thinking about my own future, what I wanted from life, I was daydreaming about revenge, letting my anger play with ideas that were truly not realistic. I decided. I was not a killer and was not going to become one. When I freed myself from these feelings of hate, I felt that I started living again. I asked myself, what am I going to do with my life? I remembered my dream from before the war to become an engineer. Every time my thoughts returned to revenge, I turned them around and dreamt of my future. It took a while. But eventually, I came to accept that I could not hate a whole people. Hating that way was what Hitler had taught. That man walking on the street could have been a vicious camp commandant or a professor of history who hated the Nazis. The woman on the train was likely brought up in the Nazi movement as a girl, but never did any harm to anyone. I forced myself to give up the hate and I did succeed after a while. I practiced 
stopping certain thoughts immediately after they started and changing the subject by refocusing on good thoughts. Many years later in Canada, my daughter Julia told me a saying, to hate is like taking poison and hoping the other will die. Many people attribute this quote to Buddha, though it is also attributed to a variety of sources. Regardless, I feel like I tasted that poison at age 17, but I spit it out and never tasted it again. Now, whenever I am speaking to students, I quote this saying. At around this time, the United Nations Relief and Rehabilitation Administration, UNRWA, was displaying lists with the names of people who were liberated from concentration camps in Germany. The lists were typewritten and with multiple carbon copies. The type had become so pale that one could hardly read them. When someone discovered a member of their family on the list, there was a great excitement and they were congratulated. There was always the hope that the next day you would find someone from your own family on the list. It was a very emotional time. There was always the question, am I totally alone or is there someone from my family left? Every day we left our hospital room and went downstairs to read the latest lists. And every day we went back to our rooms with our heads bent in sadness. I needed my mother to come back. I slept, I ate, and I took the vitamins they were giving us every day, but I was listless and showed little interest in anything. Then the day came when life began to look different to me. My mother was alive. On July 20th, 1945, we saw the names of my mother and my Aunt Mary on the list. They were in a hospital in Kiel, a city in northern Germany. We had found them. Our excitement cannot be described. I could not stop envisioning what it would be like to see my mother again. At the end of August, my uncle Stanchum and Gedalia received permission to travel documents, which allowed them to travel by train and truck. Travel was difficult because trains were not running on schedule. It took more than a month for my two uncles to manage to travel to Kiel in unpredictable trains with broken windows and to come back, bringing my mother and my Aunt Mary to Santotilian. At the time, my Uncle Tanchum met Nata, who was friends with my mother and aunt in the hospital, and he brought her back with them. Later, they got married. Finally, my mother was back with me. I was totally overcome with a deep happiness that I did not know how to express. She hugged me for a very long time, kept looking at me, asked me a thousand questions, and hugged me again. She had already heard about our time in the camps from my uncles, but she wanted to hear the stories again from me and my father. We all sat for hours listening to one another's experiences, to stories of all the small turns that life took in the camps, turns that meant life or death. 
that happened to be the right ones each time. We all felt that a string of miracles had allowed us to survive and meet again. My father often wiped a tear as we sat there, listening and telling. Here is a letter my father wrote to his brother on the day we saw my mother's and my aunt's name on the list. July 20th, 1945. My dear ones, I am quickly letting you know that our dear Sonia has been found. She is in Kiel, in North Germany. We expect her here in 10 to 12 days. It turns out that she survived through a great miracle, like all of us. The Germans, prior to losing the war, loaded 400 women under a yellow flag to indicate pestilence, and no one would let them near. The American or the English aircraft bombarded the ship, and it caught fire close to shore and started sinking. The desperate women were standing on deck, blackened by the smoke and calling for help. Sixty women were saved. The others were burned or drowned. Amongst the saved ones was Sonia and my sister-in-law, David's wife, Mary, whose hand was shot through. This all happened two and a half months ago. I received a detailed report that Sonia looks very well and feels well. She has survived spotted typhus. I'm anxiously waiting to receive a letter from her. I must finish because the author is leaving with a letter. With kisses, your yudel. In 1944, my mother Sonia was taken to Germany. As mentioned, while the men went to Dachau, the women were taken to the Stutthof concentration camp. There, my mother was a chief nurse in the camp hospital. She always cared about her appearance, washing her few clothes every night after a 12-hour shift, and she always looked clean, as reported later by surviving inmates. My mother showed great courage, staying in the operating room and doing her job while bombs were falling around the hospital. Once half the staff was killed by a direct hit on the shed they were hiding in, while the operating room remained intact. When the war came close to its end, on orders from Berlin, the women in the camp were evacuated and eventually placed on a number of barges two of which ended up being anchored to the larger freighters in the Baltic Sea. When the Allies dropped a bomb on the barge my mother was on, a part of it broke off and sank. The rest was on fire. My mother told me that she was wounded by a piece of shrapnel and lying unconscious on the burning barge when a German Navy hospital ship pulled alongside lifting some of the remaining women, including my mother, onto the hospital ship. A German naval surgeon operated on her on board the ship and saved her life. Here is my mother's first letter to my uncle in Africa, followed by a short note from me as well. October 26, 1945 my dear Samuel and Anne, you can't imagine my happy excitement today. 
I have just read your letter and I'm immediately writing a reply. You can't imagine what it means for a person who had no hope whatsoever to ever speak to you. Yudel and I often used to say that you, dear Samuel, would not even know where our remains are. My dear ones, if you only knew how many deaths and how many types of deaths were stalking us every day for the last four years, then you might understand my excitement today. And then you would also understand how much luck was required to crawl out of this bloodbath with life intact. I'm scared to speak about my luck, especially on finding, thank God, my whole family. Unfortunately, very few families remained intact. I have already been with my family for four weeks. I did not have the slightest idea where they were for 15 months. And judging by what I saw in those 15 months in the concentration camp, I could not even hope to find anyone. My despair went so far that I tried everything I could to commit suicide. For what good is life to me when in one minute everything that was dear to me and loved, my whole family, was taken from me? But fate wanted it otherwise. And when fate decides to intervene, we humans can't change anything. You can't understand, my dear ones, how happy you should be that God protected you from all that. During the 15 months that we did not see each other, we changed considerably. Of course, our dear son is an exception. He is the only one who improved. Youth, of course, responds differently than age. I nearly did not recognize Ellie. He is very tall and well-developed physically and mentally. I could say many good things about him, but I am afraid that you will laugh at me thinking that only a mother talks like that. But he is really a mensch and I am very proud of him, particularly because the Katzet concentration camp had not corrupted him. Yudel has aged a bit, but we must be happy and satisfied with the way things are. My dear brothers also turned quite gray. My sister-in-law and I are keeping well, considering the severe wounds we experienced, apart from all the other travails. Our only trouble now is that my brother's little daughter, Shulamit, or Dahlia, is still not with us. We saved her from the annihilation of the children by leaving her with a Lithuanian friend in Kovno. To retrieve her presents serious difficulties, and this worries us greatly. My dears, I must tear myself away from sharing with you, for the letter will get too heavy. But I wish so much to speak to you. I haven't even started yet, and I am forced to finish. Try out, dears, to write in detail about yourselves, how you live, how your health is. You write very little about yourselves in this letter. We are all still in a half-lethargic sleep. One begins to wake up a little, and one begins to consider where one stands in the world. We are now like newborns who need to start life from the beginning. In the meantime, we are a bit too old for a whole new life, but one can do nothing about that. 
one must get a grip on oneself. To sit now in Germany and live on German hospitality is a nice irony of life, but not for long. What we should do and what we should undertake, we are not certain. For, as you, Samuel, wrote, the gates are locked for us everywhere, and our situation after all we survived is desperate. But we must not worry. We are alive, and that is the answer. Keep well and healthy, my dear ones, and write to us soon. That is, for us, our greatest joy. Your Sonia. And here is my letter. Dear Uncle Samuel, dear Auntie Anne, I really do not know where to start my letter after an interruption of almost five years. There is so much to tell in so little space. What we have been through is so strange, so incredible, that soon I will look upon it as a dream and I will not want to believe that I lived through it. One needed so much luck, muzzle. The life of each one of us hung on a hair. Death was not in our hands, but in front of our eyes. So one must become a fatalist and believe in blind luck. I have little space. Mother and father wrote a lot. Hopefully we will meet. You are kissed by your Ellie.